We are in the book of Ephesians. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 11 to 16. So this seven-part series is meant to help those of you who have been here for some time or those of you who are newer to Pine Grove to be all on the same page regarding who we are as a church, what that means for us as a church, and where we're going as a church. I do this often in the fall as we get into our ministry year to make sure we're on the same page. So last week in Acts 2028, 20, who are we? Who is Pine Grove Community Church? Well, there, as Paul talked with the elders of this book that we're in, Ephesians, he said that each church, the local church, is Christ's purchased by his blood. That's who we are. Pine Grove Community Church is a blood-bought body of Christ, beloved of him. Then this week, okay, what are we for? We're Christ's, purchased by his blood, but for what purpose? What's our goal? What do we then do? Let me, as you're in Ephesians 4, just flip back, if you would, to Ephesians 1. I was reading this this morning. There's a a prayer in verses, beginning in verse 15. Hearing of the love within the members of the church in Ephesus, he did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in his prayers, asking that God would open up their eyes, give them further revelation of the great hope to which they're called. But anyways, giving thanks for them. I want to make sure that you hear, again, loud and clear at the beginning. This sermon series isn't preached because you're so pathetic. (laughs) Although you are. uh, Lovably pathetic, just like me. But that I and uh, others who have leadership in the church are very grateful for you because of how you love each other. That you sincerely care for pray for, show up for, meet needs of, stick around and talk with. It is a delight uh, how you love each other, and we can't give thanks to God enough for you. Uh, Sincerely meant. But we're not there yet, are we? We're not good all the way like we want to be. There are still some, maybe you, needing more of that. So let me read in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, pray, and then I want to give you some background before we get into these verses. So here's Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave, and he gave gifts to men. In saying... He ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. I, just so you know, I typically take my, after reading scripture and I pray, I just take seven verses from Psalm 119 a time and just turn it into a prayer. That's what we do if any of you are ever curious about that. If not, oh well. Let's pray. Father, how we love your law. It is our meditation all the day. Your commandments makes the most simple wiser than the wisest enemy. We can have more understanding than all teachers of this day because our testimonies are our meditation. We can understand more than the aged, keeping your precepts. Please hold back our feet from every evil way that we might keep your word. Please teach us to not turn aside from your rules that you've taught to us. Give us a taste for the sweetness of your word. May it be sweeter than honey. God, through your precepts we get understanding. Teach us to hate every false way. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start real brief with what Ephesians is about. So go back, if you would, to chapter 1. Typically, you've heard this before, maybe Paul's letters have two halves. The first half are all just plain statements of truth of the gospel, typically. So in chapters 1 through 3, Paul is going to apply, or or going to bring to bear the truth of the gospel, just statements of truth without application, without telling you to do anything, specifically to the local church. And here in Ephesus, in 1-3, he reminds us that in Christ, every spiritual blessings in heaven are ours. He goes into the doctrine of election. He wants you to know the great gospel, the hope that we have, the love of God, which began not just in our time, but in time ages past. In chapter 2 then, he reminds us of what we were. We were dead. Dead in sin. And then in verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, loving us with a great love, Even when we were dead, dead to him, no love, by grace we've been saved. That's the heart of this great gospel hope. Again in chapter 3, we have in verse 8, as Gentiles, though once separated from God's promises, having no hope in this world, we've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. The, The gospel was given not just to Jew but to Gentile and Paul was sent to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's what we have in Christ. We have this unending, undying, sin-forgiving, eternal hope preached to us that we believe live as the church. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, We want to live as the church for the glory of him who has done this for us. That's how he concludes this doctrinal section, this section just of truths of the gospel. He often does this in his letters. In the book of of Romans, he doesn't spend three chapters 
telling us the truth of the gospel, he spends 11. And at the end of it, he bursts out in this proclamation of glory to this great God who has done so greatly for us. Same thing in Ephesians, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Who's us? The local church. To him be glory in his church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Children, you are being handed this great gospel deposit. We want you to carry on this mission to glorify Jesus Christ. But how? How do we bring him glory? How does the church bring him glory? Well, that's what the next three chapters are for. Paul moves from gospel statements to application. How do we live this? Now again, Paul isn't just writing this generally, haphazardly. He knows the church in Ephesus and he's bringing specific application that they need. And that's what we want to look at. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, I therefore, so the therefore is in light of all of this great gospel, as a prisoner of the Lord, okay, Paul's laying it on thick. I'm in jail for the gospel. Therefore, in light of the gospel, therefore, in light of the suffering I'm undergoing for the gospel, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've called. And the first place he's going to apply how to walk this gospel is to how to live with each other in the church. He's going to give us our purpose within the church. He's going to tell you how to think of each other and the importance of each other in your life to help you walk according to that. But let me, before we get into that, just I want to help some of you who are suffering. Some of you who are in great difficulty right now, and there are some of you in incredible turmoil. Look at how he talks of his imprisonment. He's not a prisoner of the Roman state. He's not a prisoner unjustly being treated, you know, shaking his fist at the government. He's not a prisoner of unforeseen circumstances. He sees his imprisonment in light of the sovereign goodness of Christ. He's in jail, but his imprisonment is Christ's. These awful circumstances of being, having his freedom taken away, he sees through the eyes of faith. He's not a ward of the state. He's Christ's. And so in your suffering, in your loss, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your you know, sorrow and embarrassment, see it in light of Christ. He's a prisoner of Christ. Have that kind of faith. So that's the gospel, that's where Paul's going. We have this great gospel hope, and now we're urged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, impatience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this section is going to tell you how to do that. How do we, as a blood-bought local church, eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? How do we, with all humility and gentleness, bearing with each other in love, 
maintain unity. We have, by God's grace, a church that has unity right now. I think so. Pretty sure. We aren't, as elders, dealing with kind of those really nasty, awful sins of gossip and backbiting and undermining leadership. I know there's some of that. There always is. But that's not what we're constantly dealing with here right now. It's really a delight. I can't tell you. If you've ever been in a church or in leadership in a church where the people are just constantly trying to kneecap you, you just don't know who you can trust because you don't know what they're talking to you about that for, what angle they have. We just don't have that. But you know how easily you can lose it, right? How quickly. And so we have to be eager to maintain it. How? How? Well, you have to know what we're here for and then how to relate to each other. That's what we're going to see in these. So let's start in verse 7. Verse 7. Grace was given to each one. Now, grace here doesn't mainly mean the grace of Christ saving you. The term grace in the Bible is used variously. As we'll see in the context here, the grace given to each of you are gifts, purpose, gifts to use to benefit others. Christ, as we see in verses 8, 9, and 10, came to earth. He descended to the earth. He died. He rose. And then he ascended to the place of supreme authority and glory. He's far above all things. And when he ascended, He distributed gifts. Now the picture here, there's a quote uh, from Psalm 68. And the quote there has to do, uh, Psalm 68, 18 and verse 8. He ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, he gave gifts to men. The quote there has to do with kings coming back from victory after war. The king has gone out. Maybe some of his people were taken captive. He went out. He beat down the enemy. He won. He's liberated the captives and he's coming back. And Christ is the kind of king that after his victory, he shares the spoils with his people. So Christ came to wage war, didn't he? The Lord above all came down to earth to wage war. And he did it in the most unique fashion, in great weakness. Dying on a cross. And he won. He defeated our sin. He defeated death and hell and our flesh and Satan and the world. He defeated. He won. He rose. And he distributed the spoils of his gifts, of his victory to us in the form of gifts to use for the body. So this is the kind of Savior we have. He wins and he shares in 1 Samuel 30, 24, if you remember, David is out chasing down the enemy and some are too tired to go with him and they stay and watch the baggage. Remember that? And when they win, those who fought with David, David intends to distribute the spoils not only with those who are out there fighting with him, but those too tired 
and weak and remaining with the baggage. And the ones who fought are angry. And David said, no, we, we distribute those equally who are out fighting those watching over the city. This is Christ. So Christ has won, and he's equipped us. He's distributed gifts that we might continue on this warfare against our flesh, against the devil, against the world. And so Christ is our everything. But he has not left us empty-handed. We're not alone. He's given us his spirit. He's given us gifts to use. And so, in verse 7, he's given gifts to all. He's given gifts to all. He's liberated you from sin and death and hell. He's now your master, but he's a master who distributes the spoils of his victory to each one. Not one left out. And so, he's equally as far as each one of us, given gifts. You, 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 not one of you left out. You believe that? You. You have been, okay, let's do this. Narnia, remember Narnia when Father Christmas comes? Oh, please tell me. You have read this. I take back everything I started this sermon with. All right. Father Christmas, if you remember, he distributes gifts to all three of the children. Remember? And they're not like Tonka toys and dolls. What does he give them? Do you remember? What does he give to Peter? A sword. What does he give to Susan? A bow. What does he give to little Lucy? A vial. What are those presents for? For war. So C.S. Lewis was taking Ephesians 4 and illustrating it for you. Now, of course, there's no Father Christmas. Jesus isn't Father Christmas. But he's given you gifts for the war to use on behalf of your brothers and sisters. Equally, but not equally, right? If you go into verse 11, there's distinctions among this equality. Each one is given a gift, but not each gift is the same. There are differences, distinctions. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. These typically are called the offices of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we read, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, gifts of healing, administration, helping, and various kinds of gifts. So these gifts in the church have greater prominence They're gifts of leadership. Now these, in verse 11, what do they all have to do with? What do they all, all of these offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, what do they all have to do with? Equipping. How? By what? What's their, what do they do? Yeah, they preach and teach the word. They're word-based gifts. They are to bring the church the word of God. Here in the preaching, teaching, one-on-one, conversation, counsel, rebuke, correction. So Christ has given gifts to each, 
And he's made a distinction among some in these officers of the church that are to lead the church by equipping you with the word. Real quick, apostles and prophets, those offices were for the establishment of the church and the bringing of the word of God, the writing of it, so they are no more. They're not the normative gift. They were exceptional gifts for that time. I'm not saying that there is no more prophecy, but there's no more prophets in this sense. There's some discussion on evangelists. Some think that too is like uh, uh, an apostle or a prophet and that gift was specific for the New Testament age of establishing the church. I rather think this has to do with those the church appoints, calls, sends to do evangelistic work to establish churches and places of need. And then when that church is established and elders are appointed, typically that man transitions to becoming a pastor teacher. So I think it still continues. And then you have, if you see shepherds and teachers, and in my Bible it has a little note after it. It sends me down to note three, and it, there in note it says shepherds hyphen teachers. The only place that and in the original language occurs in this list is between these two words. And sometimes and uh, means um, something like that is. It's not saying these are separate, but it's clarifying with the second word what the first word means. So it may mean, and I think it does mean, the shepherds, that is the teachers. So these aren't two separate things, but one thing. Because if you remember, what are the elders or pastors in Acts 6? What's the main thing they're given to you to do? Teach and to pray. And so you have these officers that Christ has given as a gift, given gifts particularly towards bringing the word to bear, to build up the body, to equip you for what? For what? For the work of the ministry. Now that word equip is very curious. It's a medical term that deals with bones that are out of place, joints that are out of place, and getting them back into place. So the ministry of the word is to put you back into shape, into place to provide spiritual work in your life so that you're sound enough to be very helpful to others in the church. So we bring God's word to you to bear on your life to help you be sound and your bones in the right place and sin dealt with and your life and some kind of spiritual health so that you can be a help. So then this defines the purpose. We're a blood-bought body of Christ with the purpose of ministering to each other. This is the purpose. So who does the ministry belong to in the church? Who does the weight of caring for the lives of the people belong to? 
members. When I was at my first pastorate, one of the elders, I don't think he was an elder at that point, he had just gone off the elder board, but he was also the president of the denomination. He was a, you know, he had some weight. I was 29 and had no idea what I was doing, but thought highly of my knowledge of knowing what I was doing. And he came into my office one day and he just said, I just want you to know everything at that, this church is on your shoulders. Everything. <laughs> you, you have to make sure it all, all is working. Now, in one sense, he said something true. The pastor and elder should make sure that things are generally in good order, but the other half is completely erroneous. And that church had that idea. The pastor needs to show up and be leading and involved in everything. And I'm very grateful we don't have a church like that because it's not true. My calling, our calling as pastors and elders is to get you by the bringing of the word of God into health so that you can do the work of ministering to each other. So let me do it like this. Let's say you're somebody who deals with anxiety. Is that any of you? I'm trying to think of something that you wouldn't relate to. (laughs) That's a joke. I tried to pick something that most of you would relate to. Anxiety. Some of you have lower grades of anxiety. Some of you live pretty consistently anxious. You'll need help, right? You don't want to continue to live full of anxiety and fear. Who has Christ given you to help you in your anxiety? Who has Christ surrounded you with, filled with his Holy Spirit, given gifts to aid you in some way, shape, fashion, to help you bear that burden, to help you turn from your anxiety and repentance and to trust and rest in Christ? Who has he given you? The church. Each other. And our job is to equip you so that when somebody is talking to you after the service, and you can just tell on the crease on their forehead or just the lack of happiness that they're really struggling, that you have Christ, you have God's word, and that you are a minister to each other. So you need each other. You are utterly made by Christ to depend on each other. So this is our purpose. To minister to each other. To serve each other. Our purpose is to make use of the gifts that our resurrected, ascended, gloriously victorious king has given us to assist us towards what end? Verse 13. Mature manhood, maturity in Christ. I don't have time to unpack verse 13, but we can just summarize it by saying we're supposed to become more like Jesus, right? We're supposed to know the gospel more. We're we're supposed to be more unified in faith. We're supposed to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. We were at the Kader's Friday night for our school board meeting. And when you walk up the Kader stairs, the the living room's on your left, the kitchen's on the right, and in the threshold between those two on the left, on the corner of the wall, they have a big measuring thing to measure their kids as they grow. How many of you did that, right? On the door jam or something like that, right? Right. What's our measuring line? 
what's the bar for the Christian's maturity? What are we aiming at? Yeah, but look how it says it. To mature manhood, then defined as to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like, he piles on the words there to make sure that you understand it's not just Christ-likeness and generous, but to the measure. Not just to the measure, but to the stature. Not, not just the stature, but to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. It's a high bar, isn't it? And who has Christ given you and gifted and filled his spirit to help you along the way? Each other who are being equipped by the word. Now this is the difficulty in our age. We see the church as very little. As take it or leave it. As unnecessary. How much more during COVID? I love those of you joining us on YouTube, but that ain't church. To use my best grammar possible. I know there's seasons where you can't actually physically be here, and so thank God for technology. But we got to be here. You need each other. You can't make it to heaven alone. You won't be able to beat your anxiety alone. You won't be able to overcome your addiction to pornography or to eating alone. You won't be able to overcome, dear mother and father, your low-grade irritation with your children that springs out. You'll need help. Wife who just wants your husband to show some spiritual leadership, he'll need the church. Those of you mothers who don't love mothering, you'll need the church to help you. Do you, get, do, do, you, do you get that? So what, what are you here for? What do you do if you feel distant from the church or alienated? Are you just constantly critical and complaining about this or that lack or this or that thing? Or Could it be you? Could it be your attitude that does not jive with how Christ here views his church? The sermon series from here on is going to take that idea, this idea, and give you practicals for how you're to grow within the bounds of the church. Next week it'll be preaching and baptism of the Lord's Supper. Pastor Mark's going to do that. And then from there on we'll just get more specific and more specific. But the, the overarching thing we have to see is who are you here? What's your purpose? How are you to view the other Christians around you? So look around. Who are these people towards you? How are you to evaluate them, to think of them? They're your pastors. They're your ministers, gifted and filled with the Holy Spirit to be your help. So do you see each other like this? What, what might that look like? Some of you might have met Laura Sow. She's a new teacher at Armour's Day. Her mother and family were part of our church when we were in Ripon. And they came a few years after I was there, and they became some of our closest friends. And when I graduated from seminary, 
um, I had some things to unlearn and repent of, and one of them was I thought the earth was billions of years old and that the six days in Genesis were many long periods of time of undefined time. Okay. And God used Laura's mom, Kathy, mainly through making fun of me, <laughs> you know, to cause me to go back to Scripture and look at it and come out on what I think is a much more biblically faithful view. That's what this looks like. Why? Because we just spent lots of time with them. That's it. We were just around them a lot, and we'd start talking about things that mattered. And she cared enough for me and my soul to poke. So let me close with verse 15. We'll get more practical in coming weeks, but here's a practical. As he tells you, this is Christ's body. Our victorious Lord has distributed gifts to each one. There's distinctions of those gifts, and he's given you officers and pastors and elders uh, to teach the word, to put you into some shape and health so that you can minister to each other, so you can serve each other. And what's the main way you do that for each other? You speak the truth in love. That's how you do it. You speak the truth in love. We need to be around each other so that each other can bring God's word to bear on our lives in love. And so some of you might go talk to Judy Brzezinski after the church about her mom who has had a stroke and may not be long for this world. What help are you going to bring her? Well, she's going to need God's word, encouragement. It's a great sorrow. Right? Some of you may notice a parent who's struggling to discipline their son or daughter. But daughters are perfect, so you don't ever have to do that. Right, Roger? Yeah, right. And maybe they need you to come alongside and tap him on the chest and say, hey, you don't discipline your son. You're setting his soul on death. We need each other to bring God's word in love to each other's lives. Right? That's what we're for. So that we can attain greater maturity so Pine Grove Community Church is God's, blood-bought, purchased by the Son of God. This isn't an ideal to be realized. It's a gift to be embraced. It's a people to be welcomed. It's their love and care and service to be looked for and to be given. So another way that I want you to leave hearing this is, you aren't, this is going to be false but true, <laughs> Don't look at us as you're the gift to us. Look at us as every person here, particularly those of you who are a gift necessary by Christ, gifted for your growth in Christ. Every person that you know, you're not a gift to them mainly. They're a gift to you mainly. You need them. Okay? Let's pray. Father, help us to love your church, to see our need for each other because we have a need for you, to know that we are here with great purpose, given gifts by our victorious king 
to be stewarded, to be used, not to be hid. For each other, for our growth, being equipped by your word. And so use us in each other's lives. Help us to be here, to be attentive to others, to welcome the help of others, to learn from others, to humble ourselves around others, to not be so vain or proud, nor to think ourselves nothing. Help us to be eager to maintain this bond of unity in the spirit, to be diligent by caring for each other. And so God, thank you that that is here and ask that you would uh, strengthen it even more. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this, there are two. I, I thought of something that I had in here but didn't. You know, just because somebody's here doesn't mean you can trust them either. We do have to be careful as we give ourselves to each other and seek each other's help in our lives that there are, within Christ church, always troublemakers and those who mean well but don't know truth well. And so you do have to be discerning. That's one. Two, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So husbands, be kind to your wives. Be, don't be short. Wives, don't harbor bitterness. Parents, be tender-hearted towards your children. Church members, be kind to each other. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another in love. Just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God, to him be glory in this church forever and ever. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.